All right, so I'm excited to see everybody today. I'm excited about today. Today we get to kick off a new series called I Love My Church. It's a short series. I'm really pumped about it. I actually wasn't even going to teach in this series. I was going to have uh, the other uh, teachers in our church teach in this series. But I was so excited about this series. Like, I want in. I want first dibs, in fact. And I'm the pastor. I could do that. So, no, um, I wanted to jump into this uh, this message as well, too this series, and it's come at a really awesome time because our church is at a very, very pivotal time, and I'm excited about some things, some new developments that are taking place about Relevant Church that we're going to be sharing with you guys in just a couple of weeks. Some things are happening, and God is good, and we're excited about it, and uh, we just cannot wait to see where God takes us into 2017 and beyond. We've got some great things ahead of us. So as I was talking to a few friends of ours, uh, we started talking about sibling rivalry. Sibling rivalry, and it, was, it baffled me because a, a lot of situations that a lot of my friends have been in with their, with their siblings, it's just amazing. How many of you guys uh, were involved in sibling rivalry as a kid? You guys were at odds with your siblings as a kid. How many of you guys were the instigators always bugging your sibling. How many of you guys were the ones getting beat up and dunked in the toilet and all that type of stuff? I'm surprised we have people who actually admit it. I was like, as I was preparing for the message, I'm like, no one's going to admit that they were the ones getting beat up on. But you know, we've got some honest people here over at Relevant Church. We talk about authenticity is the only requirement. So I'm so glad that you guys are willing to admit that. Well, for me, I had an interesting childhood because we had no sibling rivalry. I had three siblings, and we all got along really well. We never fought. We never got into it. There was only one thing that we really got into it about, and it was just me and my older brother. He's nine years older than me. It was always the TV remote. And this is back in the day when we had, we had one TV in the house, and we had just upgraded from the little Knox TV, you know, the one that you go click, click, click. Anybody remember that TV? So we had one of those big base TVs that was on the ground. My dad got this new TV. It was like 23-inch, and we thought it was like the most awesome TV in the world. He set it up. It was color. It was great. We had the uh, remote control on it. And me and my brother would always fight over the remote control because he wanted to watch something and I wanted to watch something. See, my brother wanted to watch ESPN and I wanted to watch MTV and I, we were just always going back and forth and always arguing about it until one day it finally culminated to my father walking into the room. And he was like, I am so sick and tired of you guys arguing over this TV. And the only way we're going to get peace in this house is if we don't have this TV anymore. And he walks up to the TV and he grabs it and we're like, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. We won't argue anymore. And he picks it up over his head. We're like, Dad, please, we're sorry. And he just smashes it on the ground. And it was like a movie because everything just went into slow motion. We're like, no. We're like dry diving at the TV. And everything just goes crashing. My mom runs into the room like, what did you kids do? We're like, it was Dad. It was him. She was like, what happened? He's like, I'm sick of these kids arguing over the TV. And that was the extent of our childhood rivalry. That was it. It was after that, it was all good again. No TV. So parents, if you've got kids who are arguing, take away the TV. It'll fix everything. Sibling rivalry didn't come back until now we became adults. How many people in here would like to admit that you actually have been involved with sibling rivalry even in your adult age? 
So there are times in our adult age where sibling rivalry takes on a different form. It's no longer over TV or who gets to sit in the front seat. Now it's all about uh, lifestyle choices. Now it's all about how you're raising your kids. Now it's all about uh, how we're going to deal with mom and dad. It's talking about you owe me money and you're always hitting me up for money and you never do this for me. And it's got these weird, new, nuanced adult issues that we're into now. And if, if we really think about it, when those issues pop up as adults now, it becomes a little bit more personal. It becomes a little bit more philosophical. So the ideals that we're getting upset over each other is not just simple trivial stuff. This is stuff that are deep-seated, that we've grown up with, that we have now held deep in our hearts. These are idealistic issues. These are philosophical issues. And I remember my dad in 2012 when they were moving back to Zambia, where we're originally from. I remember my dad calling us into his living room. He was like, I want all the kids to be here. Him and my mom sat down, and he was like, look, I just want to tell you guys one thing. I want you guys to learn to get along. We're not going to be here forever. In fact, we're going to be thousands of miles away across the ocean. We're not going to be there to come between you guys and try to mediate all the time. You guys are going to have to just learn to get along. He was like, you guys have to learn to love each other. You guys have to learn to be one. You are one family. You are one people. You come from me. That's what my father's telling us. And he said, listen, I don't want you guys just to get along. I want you guys to learn to hang out together. I want you guys to be able to communicate with one another. I want, I want to hear, I want to see on Facebook Thanksgiving pictures. I want to say Christmas pictures with you guys hanging out because I know the older you get, it's easy for you guys to separate because you guys are living totally different lifestyles. And there's a story in the Bible that it tells us of an account of Jesus Christ right before he was about to leave this earth. Right before he was about to go to the cross and take on the sins of the world and get into this, this phase of brutal punishment for our sins, for our, on our behalf, that he comes to his father and he begins to pray. And this account is found in John chapter 17. So if you have your Bibles, please go to John chapter 17. Grab your iPhones, grab your tablets. Uh, if you've got uh, one of the Bibles that the house crew passed out, if you need a Bible, put your hand up. House crew will get one to you. And I believe it's, John, it's page 518. I may be wrong because now that I'm thinking about it, I think I put that in wrong. But in John 17, Jesus Christ is anticipating his people, his children, God's children, getting into conflict with one another. He's anticipating them being at odds with one another. So he begins to pray, and he prays for three things in this prayer. The first prayer that he prays for is for himself. He comes to his father, and he's saying, God, you know, I've done everything that you told me to do when I was here on earth. And then he begins to pray for his disciples, and he's saying, God, these people that you put around me, I, I just pray that you'll be with them. And then finally, in the section that we're going to be in, he begins to pray for the future believers, the people who would come because of the testimony of the disciples, which is me and you. John chapter 17, verses 20. And this is what he says. 
I do not ask for these only, talking about his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, not some, not only the good ones, not only the Pentecostals, not only the Baptists, not only the black, not only the white, not only the African, not only the Hispanic, but everyone that they may all be one, Our children, my children, your children, God, all of them, may they be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. And he's talking about this spiritual union that he has with his father. We believe in a God in three persons, Father, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three individual persons, but coexistence in one God. They've got a spiritual union that goes beyond all thought. God is spirit, so he doesn't have a physical body, but in Jesus Christ, we see the embodiment of God. And so there's this spiritual presence, but then there's also this physical presence. And the same thing in us, he says, I want them to be with me, with you and me, and I want them to be one because there's a spiritual presence with the body of Christ. There's a spiritual presence with you and I, but also there's a close proximity needed. He says, I want them to spend Thanksgiving together. I want them to be close. I want them to hang out together. Father, I in me and I in you, and they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The sheer fact of us being together is witness to the fact, to the world, that this Jesus Christ exists. It's an anomaly to be in a place where you've got Hispanics and and Africans and Americans and white and black to come together. They're red, they're blue, they're on opposite sides of the political spectrum. They're uh, different culturally. They eat different foods. They listen to different types of music, but yet they all come together and are one. And when we do that, the world looks and says, that's amazing. Because culture is built to separate. This world is built to separate. We go with the people who are most like us. We silo each other. And Jesus says when, when, when the world see them, sees them all come together, they'll be able to say, how the heck do those people get along? How the heck do they come together? And how the heck are they so joyful together? He says, so that the world may believe that you sent me, verse 22, the glory that you gave me, that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one as we are one. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them so that they may be one. God gives Jesus Christ this glory that goes all beyond all human understanding, this Jesus, who is perfectly God, perfectly man, when he is baptized, he comes out out of the water, God's presence comes like a presence of a dove, and he says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. This Jesus who goes around and he reconciles people and he draws people together and he draws people who are far from him to to in him. that He hangs out with people who he's not supposed to hang out with. And all of a sudden people's lives are transformed because of the unity that he draws between man who's separated and a God who's high and holy. And he bridges the gap. He says, I've given them this glory so that they may be one. 
And I beg the question, if we don't like hanging out with them, are we missing the glory? If we want to separate from certain people, if I can't hang out with you because of this, or I don't like going to this place, are we saying maybe the glory that we think exists inside of us is not really with us? Jesus Christ says in another statement, he says, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, and I'll say, I never knew you. We're walking around with this Christian banner in reality. It's non-existence in our heart. It says, the glory that you've given me, I've given to them that they may be one even as we are one. Verse 23, I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Jesus telling, he's praying to God for a people who are now in existence. Jesus praying for you and I. He's praying for humanity right now. And if there's ever a time in this world for people to be unified, if there's ever a time in this day and age for people in this country to be unified, the time is now. And you know what I love about my church? Is that we are unified. I love my church Because we are unified. Can we pray real quick? God, thank you so much for this opportunity to just engage in your word. God, open up our hearts, open up our minds so we may be able to hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's two facts about unity I want you guys to consider. I I, I wanted to go deeper into this, this, but I'm just going to give you guys these first two facts about unity that I want you guys to consider. Go home, chew on these things. The first thing is disunity hinders forward progress. Disunity hinders forward progress. And number two, unity that requires uniformity is not unity, but a counterfeit. And that's a statement by Larry Osborne. He says, unity that requires uniformity is not unity, but a a counterfeit. There's a picture in the Bible that gives us of heaven. John, who penned the book of Revelation, this individual is is given this this vision into what heaven is going to look like. And he's in this, this state of uh, the spiritual existence where God's glory has just covered him. And Jesus Christ has come and showed him what heaven is going to look like. And I, I want to read that with you. Revelation verse 7 and 9. This is a picture of what heaven looks like. This is what we have to look forward to. It says, after this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. People from everywhere, different nationalities, different tribes, different cultures, different people, all standing together, worshiping the Lamb of God who is Jesus Christ. 
There's a picture of different people. There's, there's, there's old, there's young, there's black, there's white, there's Hispanic, there's Asian. All of these people are gathered in heaven together worshiping God. That is the picture of heaven. And the awesome thing is when I look at our church, this is a picture of what I see. See, when I look into this room, I see people from all backgrounds, different cultures, different life experiences, different ideas, but all together unified under one banner, and his name is Jesus Christ. We are seeing a picture of this on earth, and this is why I love my church. I love my church because we are unified. And if we are to live out our vision, guys, which is to passionately follow Jesus, love across boundaries, and make a tangible difference in our community, region, and world, we are going to have to be unified. So there are four non-negotiables I want to share with you this morning. So make sure you have your teaching sheets ready. We're going to dive right into them. I love my church because point number one, we know that what unites us is deeper than what separates us. See, when we sit down with people, have you ever sat down with somebody for the very first time? Maybe you meet them at school or maybe you meet them out somewhere. And then you realize in the conversation that you guys all have uh, stories that you're sharing. And soon enough, you hang out with the person long enough, you start seeing similarities in your life story. And you're just like, wow, you know what? I, I've always wanted to do this too. I've always wanted to do this too. Well, I remember my parents were like this. Oh my gosh, my parents were like that as well too. You know, my kids do this. You know, my kids do that as well too. It goes deeper, but the reality is it, it goes deeper than just a human connection or an animal connection because at the end of the day, we can use the term, we all bleed, but animals do too. We can always say we feel pain. We can say animals do do too, but there's got to be something different in us. Our connection is much deeper. So when I was in college, I joined a fraternity. And being a part of a Greek life, as you would call it, is, is so, it's a culture on its own. Wherever you go and you meet somebody, doesn't matter what fraternity or sorority they're in, you have something that you can relate to. So you're like, oh yeah, I remember when I was in college, I join this organization, and they're like, oh, I was a joiner. I was Greek too. Are you Greek? Yeah. And all of a sudden, you're making connections with people that you have no clue about because there's one unifying factor. You guys have similar experiences. You guys have a shared experience of a culture that you guys were a part of. Our unity is much deeper than that which divides us, and it's the same thing for us as believers. We've got a unifier that's so much stronger than what the world can offer. It's so much deeper than, we, than what we see on the surface. And this is how Paul states it in Galatians 3, 27 through 29. He says this, talking about all of us, and he's talking to a, a people who are being divided by different cultural divides. There were different things that were coming up in their culture that was splitting them apart. And this is what he tells them. For as many as you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. 
There is neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abram's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Let's put this in 2016 vernacular. For as many of you were baptized into Christ and have put on Christ, there is neither Democrat or Republican. There is neither neither employee or employer. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. All the differences that you guys have coming up, they'll mean nothing. Because you are united around one banner, and his name is Jesus Christ. Point number two. I love my church because we resist the mindset of them and those. Uh, My little niece, when she was younger, we had neighbors called Ryan and Christine. You guys have probably met them, some of you guys who visited here. Ryan and Christine, and let me tell you a little story about Ryan and Christine. Well, first of all, let me tell you about my little niece. Every time Ryan and Christine would come, she, she used to call them the peoples. She'd be like, the peoples are here. And she would not want to come out of the house if I was with Ryan or Christine. Or if she came to visit our house and she found out Ryan and Christine were at our house, she would say, I don't want to come in there because the peoples were there. She was definitely afraid of them for some odd reason. She didn't want to get close to the peoples. And the reality is, I was once like her. See, Ryan and Christine were white. And prior, and then you're gonna, some of you guys are going to be like, what? Prior to 2012, I had no white friends. I had no interest in having white friends. I had no desire to hang around white people. I thought white people were the worst people in the world. I thought all they wanted to do was hurt black people. That was my mindset. In fact, right here in Niles, there was a time where my little nieces and nephews are riding their bikes, and my nephew goes into the road. I don't know, maybe it was my son who went into the road. And I went and I grabbed him. I'm like, what are you doing running into the road? There are people here. Don't you understand? There are people who want to kill you because of your skin color? Like, that was me. And so one day, I'm walking into my apartment, and I see my neighbor, Christine. And in that moment, God says, you need to talk to her. And so I went over there and I said, how you doing? I'm your neighbor, Muta. And then he says, you need to connect with them for dinner sometime. It's like, what? Hey, look, if you ever want to hang out, let's cook out or something. And she was like, all right, cool. Yeah, that's fine. She goes and tells Ryan. And then we sit down and we have such a great time together. And here goes. If we had have stayed the way we were, if I'd have stayed the way I was, Ryan and I and Christine and my wife Christine would have never become the best friends we are today. Uh, Ryan and I uh, became so close right now. By God's grace, I was even able to lead Ryan to Christ and realize we are no different. We are the same people. All needing one person is Jesus Christ. And something Christine and I realized is that we needed to change our table of fellowship. Do you know why? Because a lot of times we only hang out with the people who are like us. It doesn't have to be black or white. It could just be economics. It could be cultural. I hang out with the people who are comfortable to hang out with. Because these are the the people who are most like me. Let me ask you this. On an average week, how much time do you spend with somebody who is absolutely very polar opposite different from you? They don't think like you think. 
They don't like what you like. They don't go to the places that you go. How often are you in community with somebody else who's different from you? Let me take it a step further, church. On an average week, outside of regroups, how often are you in community with another person in this church that you you wouldn't hang out with any other time? We have to change our table of fellowship. What I, I realize is when I get caught up in my own narrative, in the way I want things to be, in the way my thought process is, I cut out kingdom relationships that God could be trying to build through the people who I need to get close to. You want me to tell you how this plays out? So I step over the line and I say, I'm going to communicate with Ryan and Christine. By God's grace, I'm able to lead Ryan to Christ. Ryan invites me to a new church that he's going to. I go to this church called Overflow because Ryan invites me. I meet Brian, who's the pastor of Overflow. Brian hires me on staff at Overflow. While I'm at Overflow, God teaches me how to plant a church because it's a church plant while I'm there. I have no clue that God is going to send me to plant a church. Over there, I meet a guy named Rod Lawrence, who many of you guys have met. He's preached here. He becomes my mentor. And then God transitions us out of overflow. God calls me to plant a church and he uses individuals like Brian and Rod to prepare me to do this one thing. And then he goes full back circle to Ryan and Christine, who are the first people to sign on for a monthly partnership. Those people, them, Ryan and Christine, became we. And they have funded us. The reason we're all sitting in here was because of one decision to walk across the line. We resist the mindset of them and those. Point number three. We will live with arms and hearts wide open. Is this good to you guys? Are we learning a little bit? Okay, two people said it. That's all right. I'll preach for those two people. We will live with arms and hearts wide open. Uh, we were going to a church, Christine and I, for eight months. Every week, faithfully. We were giving faithfully. We sat at the same seat faithfully. And after eight months, the same lady who had opened the door for us looked at us and said, Oh my gosh, are you guys new? Is this your first time here? We're like, Are you serious? We vowed never to be that way to people. We vowed that we would always live with arms and hearts wide open, recognizing all the people God are bringing to us. And that's why here at Relevant Church, what do we say? Welcome home. We notice you. We recognize who you are when you walk through the door. When we were at this church, and this is not overflow, by the way, this is a different church. At this church, we had to measure up. We had to dress a certain way. We had to have certain jobs. We had to have certain pedigree. And we said, no, we want a place where people from diverse backgrounds, economically different, to be able to worship in the same place and never have to once think, wow, I'm different from them. That we are all just one people. When we say welcome home, it's like family, you're back. It's like every weekend is a huge family reunion. 
See, our philosophy of ministry here at Relevant Church, why I love my church, is belong, believe, then become. You don't have to believe like we believe for you to come to church here. Just show up. Believe you me, I'll put you to work. Hey, welcome team right there. You don't believe in Jesus? You can say hello to people with a smile. <laughs> Absolutely. You can be out there parking cars. You can see You can wave at people. We want people to know that over here, there's no stipulations to belong. You can come and be a part of it. See, Jesus Christ was accused and ridiculed for being way too inclusive. But God's church now is known for being way too exclusive. I want every person, no matter what their background is, to be able to walk into this place, hear the words, welcome home, and know that they belong. We can worry about the believing stuff later. And after they believe, then they can become a full part of everything, whatever it is that they feel like they need to become. But at this point, we just want people to know that we will live with arms and hearts wide open and everyone here can belong. See, every church has a label. You know, you've got some churches, that, well, that's the conservative church. Well, that, that's the charismatic church. They just they jump around and speak in tongues and do all types of stuff. Well, you know, that, that's the intellectual church. You know, they're, they're very smart over there. They're, 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 their pastor is well-versed in, in Scripture and Hebrew and, and all these thoughts. And so you've got to be, like, super smart to go to that church. Oh, you know, that, that, that's the church where, you know, I don't know if you want to go. They've got an NRA club. You know, it's crazy over there. I only want one label. That church. Wouldn't you guys like to be just that church? That's the church where you can walk in from any part of life and feel like you belong. That's the church where you don't have to make a certain amount of money to go to that church. That's the church that got people with tattoos sitting next to people who are wearing suits. That's the church where it doesn't matter whether you're young or young at heart. At that church, everybody is just welcome. And that church, boy, they talk about Jesus way too much. That's the label that I want. We will live with arms and hearts wide open. Finally, point number four. We will love across boundaries. Love across boundaries is our life, not our buzz phrase. We say that as part of our mission and vision. We want to love across boundaries. When God placed it on our hearts to plant a church. Um, I was sitting with Derek and um, Scott the other day. I was like, hey, you guys know that I'm black, right? Like, you know, I just realized that. Like, isn't that crazy? Like, I'm black. It would have been very easy for Christine and I to go and say, we're just going to go plant a black church. You know? It's real easy to go what we're used to, but God placed it on our hearts. We wanted a church that looked like the kingdom of heaven, multi-generational, where the young can learn from the old, and the old would be inspired by the enthusiasm and the energy of the young. We wanted a church that was multi-ethnic, where it didn't matter what your background is, what your culture was, what the color of your skin was, but you can find your place in this place. 
We wanted a church that was economically diverse, where it doesn't matter if you're working at Whirlpool, shout out Jerry, and, uh, or you are doing a day laborer's job. You worship together. It didn't matter whether you were uh, politically on the red side or politically on the uh, blue side or independent or whatever. You could come together and worship together because we love across boundaries because that's what Jesus did for us. See, we don't want to be a church that talks about diversity. We don't want to be a church that has forums and all these things. You know, we've done that once. We kept it internal. We don't need to go out there and throw this banner around. We just want to live it. I don't want to talk about how much of a diverse church we are. I just want people to walk in and be able to look and be like, holy smokes. Look at this. This is the United Nations in this piece. That's the church that God placed on our hearts, and let me tell you guys the truth. Building a church that loves across boundaries is not easy. Talking about Whirlpool, Christine, my wife, used to work for Whirlpool. Jerry used to work for Whirlpool. And I believe that God's church, God's people, are like a washing machine. We're all dirty. And, you know, in a regular worship ma- washing machine, I almost call it a washing machine, like I'm from Washington or something like that. What was that about? Anyhow. Um, like a regular washing machine, you separate them by color, but I believe in God's washing machine, this is like a super 2045 uh, washing machine. You throw all the colors together. You throw them in there, and they all get clean. But what happens when you get into a washing machine? The water starts flooding in, and you start bumping against each other. And you're, like, hitting each other. And that's what it's like when you're in a washing machine. You're just bumping against each other. And you guys are getting clean. And you know what's happening? As we are being pushed around and jagged all over the place, all the dirt is finally falling off of us. And we're in this washing machine bumping with each other. And the reality is it's not comfortable, is it? Is it comfortable coming by pushing y'all? Is it comfortable? That's what the washing machine, that's what God's washing machine is like. We're being flooded by the blood of Jesus. He's covering us. He's washing us. And then what happens when the spin cycle comes? Now we're all up on each other. Now we're all up on each other. I mean, we just, the water is just getting sucked all out of us, right? All that time. And then more water comes. And we're bouncing against each other again. And it, it gets uncomfortable. And then finally God takes us out and he says, okay, you guys are clean. Now I got to get you guys ready for mission. And then he throws us in the dryer. And what happens in the dryer? More bumping against each other. More bumping against each other. More bumping against each other. And this time, the heat, it starts getting hot. It's getting hot in there. And we're uncomfortable. And that person voted Republican. And that person voted Democrat. And that person it likes this type of music. And that person likes that type of music. And I don't like it. And it's uncomfortable. And I can't stand the heat. But God said, I'm preparing you guys to throw you on mission. We do this together. But then he takes a step further. Then he pulls you out individually and says, I need to work on you. He pulls out the ironing board. 
And he says, if you get to get ready to be for me, I've got to iron out those kinks inside of you because you've still got some work cut out for you. And he takes the iron and he applies pressure. And now we have to deal with the things that are so deep-seated inside of us that he has to break us out of it and make us flat and ready to go, that we have no wrinkles inside of us without spot or blemish. And at the right time, he hangs us up in the closet with all types of different other clothes. And now we're ready to give glory, God, to be worn by Jesus Christ. That's who we are. Guys, if we're going to live a life on mission, if we're going to live out our vision to be a church that passionately follows Jesus, that loves across boundaries, that makes a tangible difference in our community, region, and world, we are going to have to be unified. If we are going to live out our vision-relevant church, we are going to have to be unified. And here goes one practical step that I want you guys to do. This week, This week, I want you to connect with somebody in this church that you've never connected with. I don't care if you call them and you just have a phone conversation with them. You guys can go out to coffee. You can take it a step further, have lunch. You can have them over for dinner. But I want you to connect to somebody. You know, we don't, we have nothing in common. Yes, that person. I want you to connect with them. I want you to change your table of fellowship. Because if we are going to live out our vision, we are going to be unified. And this is the challenge I'm going to give you for every person that communicates with another person who is new to you. We're going to donate $10 to the Ferry Street Resource Center. So if you connect with somebody else, send me a message, send me a text message, give me a call. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to take a picture and hashtag I love my church RC. Take a picture of social media, I love my church, RC, with that person. Or on the phone with that person, uh, just tell me that you guys talked. And for that, for each connection, we are going to donate $10 to the Ferry Street Resource Center. That's how much being unified means to all of us here.